snack is strange. Like some of the people that are just, act, you know, just act silly. But build big faith in you. And there's these things, if you look at someone's life that has big faith, you're going to find they're not a checklist. They're more of an ingredient list. But there are just certain things in their lives that God uses in everybody's life who has big faith. And so it's not that you're the exception or things are harder for you or easier for you. God is going to build big trust in you with certain things. I would argue that you could add to this list. I would doubt that the things we've looked at you could subtract from, 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 the, from my journey going on a two and a half decades. I, I would think that, that you, would, you could maybe add, but you definitely couldn't subtract. And God's ultimate goal is to be able to work in us and through us and for you to realize your value, value and then go be valuable because you are valuable to him to feed and be fed and all that kind of stuff, right? And today we're going to look at something that you have definitely experienced. You can relate to this, I'm sure of it. It's pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances are positive and negative. Some are awesome, you know, marriage, the birth of a child, okay, except for 2 a.m. and when they remind you of yourself, the birth of a child, right? I mean, that's an awesome thing. It's a pivotal experience. Every one of my kids had changed my life and taught me things about God and myself and all of that kind of stuff. There's negative experiences. And some people only focus on the negative, but life contains both. My parents were divorced when I was, when I was five years old, and it affected me. It affected me relationally, and it affected me a lot more what took place after that and, and the life and the choices and all this kind of thing. Another pivotal experience to me that happened almost a year and a half after that experience, not quite two years, was my hero died. I'm talking larger than life. He was John Wayne to me. Because of my dad's schedule, he was father and grandfather. He was my poppy. He was my dad's dad. He was just bigger than life. He was a great storyteller. He was an entrepreneur. He, he was just, just this, uh, this presence when he came into the room, sharp dresser, I mean, the whole nine yards. And he was taken from my life. Now, you have to know that was big to me because I was Joseph in my family. Out of 25 grandkids, out of five kids, I was the chosen one. I, I wore the coat of many colors in the Johnson clan because of my grandfather and just enjoyed a relationship that, that few people get to experience. I mean, just, just a doting and a... It was just an amazing relationship, and to the point it devastated me. I didn't grieve it till I was in my 20s. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to grieve that loss. I tucked it away until God just kind of forced my hand, and I had to. A great day happened for me. Father's Day, 1982, my dad became a Christ follower. I immediately noticed the change. He showed an interest in me. He was proud of me, told me he loved me, come and get me, come and get my sister and I. The Playboys were gone. The main reason I'd like going to his boring house with no video games and no bike and no yard and no friends was that and he took that away from me. But there was a change in my dad's life. He began to make me go to church, and I began to eventually read the Bible, began to hear the message like I'd never heard before. Church was always this weird, funny-smelling, awkward place for me, awkward music. I discovered Jesus Christ. How many people have, you've got pivotal circumstances, good and bad. You know what I'm talking about. You can relate. Maybe not the same, but you can relate. I want you to take two minutes. I can only do this in the summer. I can't do this during a campaign. I want you to take two minutes 
like we did last week, and I want you to share. You don't have to share the details. You don't have to cry about it. You, or if you want to cry, you can, but you don't have to. You don't feel obligated to make yourself upset. I want you to tell quickly one pivotal good thing that happened to you, one pivotal good circumstance, one pivotal negative circumstance. And I want you to take just two minutes, and it'll only be awkward for me pacing back and forth like a Labrador retriever up here. I want you to go ahead and do that right now. I got it on the clock. Go for it. I want you to know as we look at pivotal circumstances, I want you to know this. On my part, and I know this happens a lot, but on my part, especially if you're being introduced to Jesus Christ at LifePoint for the first time, or you're being reintroduced, even in the summer, I mean, the bout of summer, you found yourself here, you're being reintroduced to Christ for the first time ever. I want you to know God hasn't backed himself in a corner. And my goal personally is not to defend God because of what God, what's going on in the world. I don't feel the need to spin doctor for people the Bible and try to cram it into their situation. I just don't feel that pressure. That's not my spirit or intention. I don't think God needs Jamie Johnson or LifePoint Church to defend him. I think he's plenty capable. I don't think Jesus needs vindicated. I know that happens a lot in church. Tragedy and pain are part of the journey. They are not proof or denial of anything. And how we choose to respond is the key piece. So my desire is to take pivotal circumstances, take a couple hundred verses together, and look at this and see what God has to say. Not really. Let's look at this a little bit. I really want you to see this, though. Proverbs, or not Proverbs, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend, another version says, Lord, he whom you love is sick. These are people, and I want you to see this, these aren't co-workers that you send a car to because if you don't, you look like a, like a non-caring person in the office pool. These aren't people that you give to the flower fund and, and everybody signs their name. These are people that Jesus loved. These are people that were close to him, that he knew their story. He knew their story. They knew his story. They were tight with him. They spent a lot of time with Jesus. I mean, they had some crazy moments together. One time, Mary came in and dumped a, a year's worth of salary and ointment over Jesus. And the, and the spiritual disciples went into social justice mode. You know, that could have been given to feed the poor, and, you know, we could have used that for something different. And they, they were just being very pragmatic. And Jesus, they didn't understand the intimacy that, that Mary and Jesus had, that she was so grateful that God had changed her life, that, that she wanted to show that. And God said, listen, Rather than judge her, what I want you to do is memorialize her. I want you to write this down. Quit judging her about giving it to the poor. The poor you have with me always, Jesus said. I want you to know that that she has done a great work, and she has honored me, and I want you to record that in the Bible. These are people that Jesus loved. Jesus loves them like he loves you. John 3.16 is crafted that God loves you as if you were the only one that ever lived. So the love that God has feels, directs, sins towards you, sends your way, is love that you're the only, like you're the only one in his life and in the universe. I want you to know that. It's very important. Look at verse 4 with me. 
when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus, sickness will not end in death. No, it will happen, and this is key, for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man, so the Son of God, excuse me, will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was the next two days. Finally said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. The disciples objected, Rabbi, only a few days ago, remember that, the people in Judea? They were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? They said in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, Lord, listen, if he's sleeping, you know, that's, that's the doctor's best prescription. That's why they kick you out of the hospitals early. So he'll, he'll, he'll get better if he's sleeping. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, check this out, it doesn't add up. For your sakes, I am glad I wasn't there. For now you will believe. Come, let's go, let's go to see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, yeah, let's go to and die with Jesus. I mean, here's the story. Lazarus, the guy that Jesus, I mean, Jesus had healed tons of sick people. He had people that were dying, internal bleeding. Jesus had healed them. Here's one of his close friends, and they're like, Jesus, Lazarus is literally dying. And Jesus says, man, that's, that's not cool. All right, man, I'm going to hang out here for a couple of days, and I'll come, you know, we'll see what happens. No urgency. I'm sure the disciples were looking around saying, what is going on here? But Jesus said, all right, let's go. And he, and, he, and he triggers them. He said, let's go to Judea. And they're like, hey, Jesus, can't you do like one of those, you know, like rub a prayer cloth or send a carrier pigeon? I mean, do one of those things like the centurion. Remember when you did that? You said, oh, don't worry about it. Your servant's ill and just going home. Remember that? You know, can't you just do that? And she's like, no, we're going to Judea. And he spent some time teaching them a lesson. I want you to see this. These giants of the faith that you name your kids after, they were like, might as well go get killed then. Oh, oh, did, oh Thomas is, is Eeyore. Well, let's go die with Jesus. It's not a cool scenario. Not a good situation at all. And it just didn't add up to anybody around him. It's all about them. Why aren't you doing this, Jesus? And Jesus seemingly left Mary and Martha out in the cold. You've experienced that. We've all experienced that. God didn't do what he wanted, the way he wanted, how he wanted. You get frustrated. They were frustrated and hurt, and they do what we do. They say, okay, God is good. God loves. God loves everybody. died on the cross. I've got the situation. God's not doing what I think he should. God's not just, you know, it's just hurting. It's painful. I can't, I don't understand this. What have I done to deserve this? And you're trying to cram, you know, the, you know, okay, you're, it just doesn't fit in the box. It doesn't add up. So what you do is, and what I do is we talk spiritual, but there's no, there's no, there's nothing behind it. There's no faith behind it. We know things like the Bible, but we quote the scripture. It's what Christians do, but they don't really believe it, and they just kind of tuck it away because it's so hard to marry what you're going through, what you've gone through, with what you think God should have done, and what actually took place. But in verse four and fourteen are the keys to understanding pivotal circumstances. I want you to know up front that circumstances have been distorted terribly. We've only taught, we've only taught in churches, we've only taught on TV, we've only taught on the radio, we've only written books about one aspect that we're looking at today of circumstances. That God just kind of causes things to happen or lets them happen. They trickle down. 
yada, 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 Eric Estrada. I mean, it's just done. And we don't understand it. We try to fit in our box. We get upset. We live bitter. We live disconnected. We live afraid. We don't reach out. We don't give. We don't serve. We don't seek Christ. If it happens before you accept Jesus Christ, before you cross that amazing line of faith where you realize Jesus died for you and rose again for you and you believe on him as your personal God. If it happens before, then you're like, man, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I've got these excuses. I saw this magazine, all this kind of stuff. But what you have to realize and what we need to tell more, you know, from our vantage point as pastors and all that kind of thing, that there's different, there's different sides to this. Some things are cause and effect. If you reap this, you sow this, you're going to reap this. If you sow hatred and bitterness, you're not going to reap a loving family that want to hang out with you. If you sow stinginess and you sow fear, you're not going to reap a happy life with people with, you know, just, just enjoying yourself. It's going to be negative, man. There's a sowing and reaping peace. Some things are part of living in a broken world. Some things are just part of a broken world that God will leverage if we let him. And then other things like what we're looking at today, the apex are things that God orchestrates to build your life. And if you get stuck on one, if you like, if you just get stuck on cause and effect, you will constantly live in a performance trap with God. That's one, that's one, that's one of mine, the performance trap. If you think all of it's just part of living, that there's no point, things just happened, God pushed play centuries ago, that's it, then you're always going to live victimized. It's not true that he did that and stayed uninvolved. You'll become victimized. You'll live that way. If you think God allows everything that comes into your life or wants that, that he, you know, he allows things, but that he orchestrates it, that he caused it, like he did all of this so you would be miserable, then you'll, you'll leave either wounded, you'll never do anything with Christ, or you'll leave wounded once you do discover him. So here's the thing. If we bring all of this to God, he can walk us through every bit of it. He can use all of this to build our trust. And I want you to know up front that I think the things, this is my personal opinion, you just prove it from Scripture, send me a verse. But in my journey, the things that he orchestrates, he reveals. The things that he, or it may not be up front, it usually isn't up front, but in the rearview mirror, you will begin to see how the pieces fit together. God will speak directly to that. There are, and I don't know, and he doesn't always do that with things that are cause and effect. He doesn't always do that. I haven't seen him always do it with leveraging things that happen in life. I haven't seen him always reveal the inside track. But with things he orchestrates, you can always count on this. They are never evil. They are never meant for evil. And they are not meant to destroy you. They are meant to build your trust in him. You can't say that about cause and effect. There are things that you and I do. There are choices we make. And cause and effect and leverage work so close together, it's hard to dissect them sometimes. That God can't undo or won't undo, whatever the case may be. It's just a sowing and a reaping. It's a law that God's established, and it's not a fun law unless it's a good thing. You know, it's unless you sow something good and reap something good. I read a terrible story last night. I had to stop on my way to Home Depot. I had to stop at Target, and I just went, went you know, made a pass in the store and picked up a magazine began to read read about a story about an 11-year-old girl in Houston. Just a little neighborhood girl that walked around with her brother, didn't see her parents a lot, just, just a sweet baby. 
and two boys picked her up, told her to get naked, or they, or they, or they would shame her. They would take pictures of her, and they would give it to people. Took her to a house, molested her, two at a time. Called their friends, two at a time. Grown men, two at a time. But the time I got to that, I took the magazine, and I threw it against the rack, and I said, oh, my God, I just couldn't read anymore. It made me sick. Those of you that are dads understand what I mean. That, that's the moment Pastor Jamie would be prison Pastor Jamie. And, and that would be it. I'd have a prison ministry. Not a, I would be leading life point. I'd have a prison ministry. Now, you can bank on this, that God was disgusted with that, and he hated that. And God had set up all of these things in the Bible to protect that baby. He gave her a mama and a daddy. You can't have a baby without a mama and a daddy. Daddy's supposed to protect. So daddy was out of the picture, not guarding his home. Mama did not know where this baby was. Mama wasn't looking out for her. Nobody was speaking truth into her life. Parents weren't speaking truth into her life. Guardians weren't speaking truth into her life. Guardians weren't teaching her about God. Guardians weren't modeling. There were hundreds of safeguards that God set up between that situation and that debauchery that those people should be erased for. But I can tell you this. If God and his mercy can help that little girl understand how much he loves her and that he hated that it happened to her, he can use that terrible situation and leverage that in her life and give her back all of the things the enemy and those awful boys and men stole from that baby and make her life more than she could ever thought. She doesn't have to be a statistic. She doesn't have to be on the street. She doesn't have to live under bridges. She doesn't have to be a heroin addict. God can change her if she will will just respond to his love, if someone can intersect her with his love. Christ followers, right? But you can bank on this, that God does not orchestrate stuff like that to teach you a lesson to become a pivotal circumstance in your life. God does not use evil. And God does not thumbs up evil. And God does not overlook evil done to people. But he will use it if the people that have been done evil will respond to him. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that that what he does, he does to bring glory to himself. Check this out. You're going to see it in just a moment. To ignite faith in certain people and to build faith in those that have been ignited. When God orchestrates something, remember, he said, this is for your glory, this is for your sakes. These are people that had faith ignited, and they were going to be in a situation where people needed faith ignited. So they had faith ignited that God was going to build their faith. But nothing pointed to that. Nothing seemed right about what he was doing. Look at this with me. John 11, 21, man, these are real people, real situations. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, no, no, you don't hear, I get it. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. 
I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I mean, we're not talking about spiritual We're not talking about what Christians do, like, oh, so sorry you lost your teenager, so sorry your, your husband's in rehab, you know, for all things work together for good. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do pat answers. He didn't write Romans 8, 28, so we go around feeling spiritual and saying dumb crap to people when they're broken. He didn't do that. He did. He, he wrote that, and he said, listen, share what you need to share. So she's like, God, in my frustration, I want to believe But if you had been here, this would not have happened. I know it wouldn't have happened. I know you loved my brother. And Jesus said, it seems like a bad answer in the resurrection life. I know know my brother's going to rise. I need the Left Behind series thing. I know one day I see he's a follower. I get all that. I just know you're not getting it. This isn't about a belief or a dogma or a system or, or trying to make you feel better. I want you to know this is about a relationship between you and I. This is about a relationship between you and your brother. I mean, your brother and I. That that I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not a religion. Martha, I am real. You and I have a real relationship. You are connected to the God of the universe. And Martha chose in her disappointment to trust. To turn to God, not away from God. A, A famous author once said, It is better to be disappointed with God than disappointed without God. Great statement. That's what Jesus was saying to her. Jesus is saying, listen, I know you're disappointed. I know you don't understand this. But but here, I'm trying to build your faith. And let's go back to the basics. Do you believe I am who I say I am? And she said, I have always believed that from the time we have met. I have believed that you are God. God says, I want to do something big. She didn't understand it. God was trying to grow her up. God was trying to build her up. But but she, not understanding, put her faith in him. Not not feeling everything she hoped to feel. She's like, I'm going to trust in our relationship. I'm going to trust you. And she could have let this thing beat her up. But she realized this, even in her pain, and even in wanting her brother back so bad, she realized this, God wants to do something in your life, not to your life. God wants to do something from within you that is so powerful, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you act. It changes the places you go. Not to restrict you, but you realize, I've got a higher purpose. I've got a higher calling. I am extremely valuable, and I don't have to do these things. I don't have to be a part of this anymore because God has value to me. And she did not feel that but she had just enough faith, just this inkling of faith to turn in to God and she, because she realized God wants to do something in your life, not to your life. So we've been taught to shame. God's, God's major motivation is shame. God does not motivate with shame. God does not motivate with browbeating. He does not do that. He motivates with grace. He motivates with firm discipline, but it's loving and caring. And so what happens is you've got the situation. You've got the you've got the situation where Jesus just kind of walks over, he's kind of seeing the tomb and the crowd, and he's kind of listening. And for a moment he stops being Rabboni, master teacher, he stops being rabbi, he stops being uh, Messiah, not not literally, but just for a moment he steps out of pastoral role and I'm starting the church role, and he just is a human being. He is a person that lost his friend. 
And the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. And then you have this situation that's so weird, and you don't know if he's mad because it's the grieving process or if he's mad at what somebody just said. But Jesus was angered at some moment, like right, in those, right, right after that verse, because some people said, oh, look how he loved Lazarus. And other people said, you know, you know well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he heal him? He healed blind people. He could have healed his friend. I mean, come on, man. Point, he was 1.7 miles away from Lazarus, and he lets him die. What kind of friend is that? Jesus says, remove the stone. Four days in the ground. It'd be like you exhuming the body of your loved one, my loved one, with no, with no uh, embalming fluid. It's kind of like, Jesus, it's too little, too late. No, 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 Lord, he's going to stink. The King James says, stinketh. He stinketh, you know. He stinks. He's decaying. Too little, too late. Jesus, you know, you, you don't need to go put on a big dramatic show to show how much you love my brother. Come on, man. You're like, you're just, you know, some, some people just are just really dramatic. And as my job, I've been all kinds of scenes, man, biker funerals and people, you know, just attacking one another and all this kind of stuff. And I remember one time this guy died that we had reached for Christ and, it, 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 would look like, it looked like a scene from uh, that movie where the, the girl steps out of the TV. What's that movie? The Ring. I mean, it was just awful. And they're like, Pastor, do you want to crawl in bed, give him a kiss? Like, no. You know, Pastor Jamie's not that, that desires to grieve that way. You know, I don't want to crawl into bed with him when he's alive. I don't want to do it now, man. You know, freak me out. Jesus wasn't doing some dramatic show. He does this prayer. He's sincere, but he does something he doesn't normally do. He's like, God, I want them to basically, I want them to know that you and I are one. I want them to know that I'm doing your will. I want them to see when it, what's, what the, what's about to happen. I want them to know that I am God. I am the Messiah. I am who you say I am. I want all these people that are saying stuff. Some are like, oh, look, I love you. I want, I want, you to, I want them to know. Lazarus, come out. Look at verse 43. That's what he says. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Why do you say that? Because if he hadn't said Lazarus, every dead person would have come out. He's God. Hey, uh, come out. And all these dead people, we walk around freaking everybody out. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Golly, there's like 20 messages right in those verses. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus. Remember that initiating faith? I'm going to do something that doesn't make sense, that doesn't add up, that are pivotal circumstances. But here's what's going to happen when I do. They're going to bring life. They're going to initiate faith. They're going to build faith. Check this out. Uh, Then many of the people with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw what happened. But some of the Pharisees, some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Jesus is trying to frame for them what had just taken place. Listen, you, you, you don't need to justify things. God's not trying to vindicate himself. He's not like, oh, you, you got me. You got me. I, I'm sadistic. He's trying to frame this for them, showing amazing grace, raising this guy from the dead. And some people are still like, pop can. I'm out of here. Let me if I get something to Pharisee. I can tell the story. Other people believe. God wants to use pivotal circumstances to initiate your faith and to build your faith, to initiate your trust in him and build your trust in him. God, God, God raised him up 
So the ultimate disappointment, I mean, losing a loved one is terrible. The ultimate disappointment led to the second greatest thing that would ever happen in their lives, the first being the resurrection of Jesus, the second being Lazarus come back from the dead. Now, as you look back at that story, think back to the beginning with me. If Jesus would have come and healed Lazarus, that would have been a really cool thing. They wouldn't have to grieve. They wouldn't have to go through the pain. They wouldn't have to go through the loss. They wouldn't have to go through the questions, right? All the stuff we don't want to do. Don't want to go through the questions. Don't want to go through the loss. Don't want to feel the hurt. Don't want to have to work through this. I want to drive through faith. That's what I want. It's what I want. I don't know about you. I like skyline faith. It's there in a couple minutes, man. It's fun. But God chose to build great faith. So he could have done that, but what he did was this. Funeral, grieving, no card, no email, no Facebook, no text, nothing, no shout-out on Twitter, nothing. Comes in after the fact, people are confused. Says, oh, yeah, let's, let's, exo- let's, let's exhume the body. What? He's going to stay, man. What are you trying to prove here? Everybody knows you love him. He's told the one, man. And Jesus raises him from the dead. It would have been cool to be raised up from uh, the flu or cancer. It's really cool to be raised up from the dead. Like, that's, that's cool. This is, like, really cool. That, that's, like, working out. This is, like, bodybuilder on steroids. This is just unbelievable. But it was a, it was a pivotal circumstance. They would have never chosen for themselves. They would have never desired for themselves. They came to the right person. That's Jesus Christ. Just like you and I can. They were open to what Jesus had to say, even though they were hurting. Even though they were hurting, they were honest. Jesus was honest. Some of you, that's the, that's going to be the breaking point in your life. You are fronting with God, and you think that he plays this game, and God's like, oh, geez, will you ever get real? Because I want to get real with you. And you're like, you know, doing all this stuff, and building all these altars, and all that. Be real. God will be real. They did what he said by faith, even though it made no sense at all. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you remember that I'm your God? They did. And they watched God build in a way using pivotal circumstances. I think the toughest piece is when you don't have any answers in the pivotal circumstance. You kind of get over the initial grief and loss. Takes your breath away. Numbs you immediately. When you're in the middle of something, it's hard to see that. Some of you are there. Some of you are on the backside needing to look back. You've turned God off like the furnace. You're not going to use it until later, you know, the next crisis. And you need to look back. You need to check this thing out. Some of you are getting ready to face things, and you think it's just because God orchestrates all this negative, and he wants you to have the flu, and you to have cancer, and you to be lonely, and you to be broke, and all these things, and that's just not the case. There's cause and effect. There's negative because we live in a broken world, and we have choice that God, even though so many times it works against you, that God will work it for your good. And the whole thing is if you let him. 
then there are those things, and this is the toughest time, especially in the beginning, that he orchestrates. He does this elaborate mural. Pain, happiness, laughs, confusion. I mean, it just all kind of blends together. And from the back side, it looks terrible. But if you flip that around, it's a mosaic of, of your life of grace. And if you let God, doesn't force himself on anyone. He will graciously, powerfully build your faith. Not what you see on TV. Not the faith of someone you respect, but your trust, your life, your exploits, your feeding.